Thank you guys so much. What a blessing. What a blessing. Thank you, Brother Malcolm. Thank you, Brother Charles, for the opportunity to be here. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles tonight and turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy. The Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, and would you turn to the very last chapter, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 34. Deuteronomy chapter 34. I'll begin to read in verse 1. And I want to preach tonight on this subject. Victory is no accident. Victory is no accident. From the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, chapter 34, and I'll begin to read in verse 1. And the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse 1, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah so far as the western sea, the south, and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zor. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to give Abram, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And God buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his grave to this very day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. The children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him, so the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. But since then, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before all the servants, and in all his land. And by all that mighty power and all that great terror which Moses performed in the sight of Israel. God, put your words in my mouth. Put your thoughts in my mind. Lord, I must decrease, and you must increase. And Lord, give our hearts ears to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say to us. God, I pray we'll be transformed by your truth. God, I confess the devil is a defeated foe and that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And I pray this prayer, Lord, in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. Bear Bryant, the famous coach in Alabama, was raised in a family that did not believe in playing football. His parents were simple farmers, and they thought that sports, and especially football, was worldly, that young men need to come home from school and help out with the chores. One day, as a young man, Coach Bryant was looking through a chain-link fence watching football practice, and the coach noticed him standing there and saw in him ability. And so he asked him to come out on the field. And he said, they're going to throw a ball to that young man right there, and he's going to run down the field, and I want you to run after him, and I want you to demolish him. And that's exactly what he did. And the coach said, I want you to play on this football team. 
Well, he went home and he told his mom that he, he was going to play football. She didn't want him to play. And she was a woman of prayer. And he used to tell this story. He said he would hear his mom praying this. He could hear her in the other room praying this. She said, God, don't let him play. But if he does, let him win. Well, I want you to know that God wants you to be a winner, not a loser. The Apostle Paul, as he was getting ready to die, looked back on his life, and he said, I have finished my race. He said, I have fought a good fight. And he crossed that finish line and fell into the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ, a victor. So tonight, from the Word of God, I want to show you some lessons that we've got to learn if we're going to finish well. Some lessons we've got to learn if we're going to be victorious Christians. First of all, we need to learn something about decisions. Learn something about decisions. The Bible says that even though God had promised that Moses would lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, and he would lead them into the promised land. Something happened because here, God says, I'm going to let you see it, but you're not going to enter into it. The reason for that is because of one decision that Moses made. One simple decision. You see, when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, they had water problems. First thing they faced before they ever got out of Egypt, there was too much water. There was the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army was breathing down their neck. But the Bible says Moses lifted up the rod that was in his hand, which is symbolic of the power of God, and God split the Red Sea half in two. And they walked through, and when they got on the other side, they began to sing praises to God and have pastor appreciation day for Moses. This is the greatest leader that we've ever had in the nation of Israel. But they went a little further, and they came to a place where there was water, but it was bitter. And they began to complain. And God told him to take a stick, throw it in the water, and God made the waters sweet. And the people drank that sweet water and said, let's have another pastor appreciation day. We got the greatest leader that God has ever given the nation of Israel. But in the 17th chapter of the book of Exodus, they come to another place. And the Bible says there was no water. And they said, you brought us out here to die. You're trying to kill us. We'd have been better off to stay in Egypt. What on earth are you thinking? And he thought they were going to kill him. They were going to string him up. And he said, God, we've got to have some water. These people are going to kill me. And God said, I want you to go to the rock. And he said, I want you to take that rod and I want you to hit that rock. And the place where you hit the rock, the water's going to come out, fresh water, and quench the thirst of Israel. So that's exactly what he did. He went over there, he hit that rock, and the Bible says when he hit that rock right there in front of all the nation of Israel, the water just began to gush up, and they said, Man, get a plaque engraved. Let's have Pastor Appreciation Day. We've got the greatest pastor in Israel's history. And the days rolled by. And one day in the book of Numbers, it's recorded in the Holy Bible, the book of Numbers chapter 20, they came to a place where there was no water. And they said, I can't believe this. You have brought us out of Egypt to die. We'd have been better to never left Egypt. What kind of leadership do you, do, do, are you trying to exercise over us? And they began to gripe and complain. And he went back to the Lord. And he said, Lord, they're going to kill me. 
and we got to have water. And, and the Lord said, I want you to go back to that rock. And he said, but this time, I don't want you to hit the rock. I want you to speak to the rock. And uh, when you speak to the rock, I'm going to give you some water. And so Moses takes the rod of God in his hand, and he gathers the people, and they go to the rock. And he looks at that rock, and he looks at the people, and right now, I feel for him. I understand him. I've been there. I've been doing this a long time. I have been pastoring Baptist churches since I was 23 years old. 1979, I became a full-time pastor of a Baptist church. I pastored rural churches. I pastored a church in a small county seat rural community. I have pastored a church in a resort area. And for the last 27 years, going on 28, I have pastored a church in an area that's grown to encompass a million people. And it's all basically the same. Not enough water. The water don't taste good. The water's bitter. There's too much water. We don't have no water. We want to string you up. We want to give you a plaque. You're the greatest pastor we've ever had. You're the most pitiful pastor we've ever had. I feel for this guy right now. And the Bible says he's got that. I always envision it like this. He has that rod and suddenly he takes it like a baseball bat. And even though God told him not to hit it, I'm telling you, he's had it. He says, water? You want water? I'm going to give you water. And he calls them a name. Bunch of rebels, and he hits that rock twice. And water came out of the rock because God's going to meet our need in spite of us, folks. But God said, you just made the wrong decision. And because of this decision, you're not going to take the children of Israel in the promised land. Now, lots of folks have tried to figure out why God was so hard on him. Some folks say it's the price of leadership. God expects more of a leader. We're supposed to be a step ahead. We're supposed to be out there beyond. We're, 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 we have a greater accountability and a responsibility. But I don't believe that's the reason that God refused to let him go in the promised land. I don't believe that's the reason God made an example of him. God will never allow a type, a picture of Jesus Christ in any way to be clouded, diminished, disturbed, or in any way confused. The Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, when the Apostle Paul was ministering and giving this letter to the church at Corinth, he began to reach back in the Old Testament and he said all these things in the Old Testament happened as examples. And he speaks about this rock in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. And he says that rock, that spiritual rock that followed them, which that's an interesting thought, the rock followed them. When they moved, I guess the rock got up and it moved too. Because Jesus will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. He says, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He said that spiritual rock is Christ. So when the first time Moses came to God and said, I need water, and God said, go to that rock, 
and hit the rock, and the water came from that broken place, the cleft, that cut place, that was a picture of Calvary. When our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ died in agony and shame, the Bible says when the Roman soldier thrust the spear into the side of Christ the rock, that the blood and the water flowed. And I believe that water is a picture of that living water of salvation that alone can satisfy our souls as we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the next time he comes and he says we need water, God says don't strike the rock because Jesus is crucified one time. And when he died that one time, my friend, Jesus Christ paid our sin debt in full. So he's our great high priest. And so when you have a need today, all you've got to do is speak to the rock. You just talk to the rock. You just ask the rock. Just lift up your voice to the rock. So when he approached that rock and he struck it the second time, he messed up the picture of the gospel and through a picture sent the message that the death of Jesus wasn't enough. And that's what all of these false religions teach. You've got to take the Eucharist every week. Christ is dying every week. You've got to add something to faith. You've got to add something to the gospel. But Jesus Christ died paying sin's penalty in full and was raised from the dead. And all you got to do, my friend, is run to the rock, trust the rock, turn to the rock. And if you are a child of God and you're in need tonight, all you got to do is speak to the rock and Jesus Christ will meet your need. And so that convicts me because I don't want an inconsistent life and a lack of integrity. I say that I'm a Christian. And I say that I'm a pastor. And I'm a leader. I'm a child of God, an ambassador for Christ. And I don't want to live a double life and have the inconsistency and the hypocrisy in my life to any way cloud the gospel message. I want to send a clear message that Jesus saves that Jesus sanctifies, that Jesus empowers a believer to walk the highway of holiness. So when we think about the lessons of decisions, here it is. Never underestimate the impact of your decisions. There is a consequence to every decision you make. Our lives are not determined by the dreams we dream, but by the choices that we make. The other lesson about decisions is this. There is no victory in what might have been. One night on visitation, my minister music and I went to a home. Uh, we had a visitor's card. They'd requested a visit. It was a, kind of a little patio home or a condominium. And when the man opened the door, he looked like death warmed over. He had a bandage, oh, his skin pallor. He looked like he was dying, oxygen hooked up. And when we went into that home, he was living in squalor. He had all these parakeets, birds, and didn't have a one of them in a cage. They're just flying everywhere. And you can imagine what, what that place looked like. So my minister of music, he went over and he was trying to find a place to sit and not getting all the stuff, and I was sitting over in another place, and this poor guy sat down, and he looked at me, and he said, I need to tell you guys a story. 
He said, I used to be a preacher of the gospel in Kentucky. And he said, I had the power of God on my ministry. He said, everywhere I went and preached revivals, the power of God fell. He said, souls were saved. But he said, I made a bad decision. And I lost my marriage. And I lost my ministry. And I've been in this business and that business. And I've been out of church. And I, he said, I went away from God, but God never went away from me. And he said, I want to come back to God, come back to Christ, join the church, get things right. And I'll never forget this. He said, many a night I lay on my bed and I lay awake and I think about the revivals that might have happened and the souls that might have been saved if I had not made a bad choice. As I said, our... Lives are not determined by the dreams we dream, by the choices we make. And that fellow ended up dying. And when we had his funeral, his ex-wife came, and I talked to her, and I told her that story. And I said, is that the truth? She said, that is exactly the truth. And I went back, and I remember in my mind sitting in that squalor and looking at that man, and I said, by the grace of God, Lord Jesus Christ, keep me straight. I want to make right decisions, and I don't want to fizzle out before the finish. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to confess something here. I know time is limited, but can I make a confession? Don't think I'm worldly. But I used, not in recent years, but in its initial years, I used to love to watch American Idol. I, I know you think that's bad, but I just, I, I liked it. And I think it was on Wednesday nights, and I'd hurry home after the prayer meeting service. I think some of the folks say, look at him, he's hurrying home to pray. I was going home to watch American Idol. And uh, I used to love, I used to love, Randy Jackson, he was my favorite judge. And he called people dog, and that's a cool thing. He's not saying something, but he'd say dog this, dog that, but he'd always say something. It doesn't matter who it was. He'd say the same thing. Dog, dog. Hey, he'd say, hey, man, you are in it to win it. Well, I want to tell you something about me tonight, my friend. I didn't get in this race to falter and fail. I'm in this thing to win it. And I came to Longview, Texas tonight to stand in this pulpit and to ask a crowd of people, is there anybody in the house of God tonight that would say, I'm in it to win it. I'm going to cross the finish line for the glory of God. Well, we need to learn something not only about decisions, we need to learn something about death. The Bible says that Moses died. It said he was only 120 years old. Said his eyes weren't dim, his natural vigor was not diminished. He death's an unavoidable trip, folks. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. You got a limited amount of time. Why are you wasting it? Why are God's children wasting it? Why aren't you all out, a hundred percent sold out to Jesus Christ? God's got a calling on your life, giving you spiritual gifts. You ought to plug into the local church, and instead of just sitting there taking up space, you ought to do whatever it is God's called you to do in the place God's called you to do it, for goodness sakes. Man, when I think about his death, I, I can't help but think of his unfinished task. You see, God told him in the beginning, I'm not just calling you to lead him out, I'm calling you to lead him out to lead him in. I, I, can't, I can't help but notice an ungodly tendency when I think about his death. The Bible says God buried him. Isn't that interesting? 
The Bible says God buried him, and nobody knows until this very day where he's buried. Now, the devil wanted his body. Did you ever read that in the book of Jude? How that, that Michael the archangel contended, and that word contend means argued with the devil over the body of Moses. Why would the devil want the body of Moses? Remember when the snakes were killing them and Moses cried out and God said, fashion out of bronze a serpent. Jesus even used that as an illustration of the cross. And they lifted up that serpent on a pole and everybody that looked at that, that bronze serpent, they were cured of snake bite. It's a picture of the cross. But the Bible says later they took that serpent that bronze serpent, and they made it into an idol, and they worshipped it. There's just this ungodly tendency in humans to want to worship idols. And the devil knew, if I can get the body of Moses, man, I'll get that thing embalmed and petrified, and we'll start a whole new religion, and people will come, and they'll bow down, because it seems like people want something they can see and something that they can touch. An idol is anything in your life that replaces Jesus Christ. The devil doesn't mind you saying, I believe in Jesus as long as he's not on the throne, as long as he's not number one. But here it is. Why ultimately, I, I mean, my, my, I've, I've thought about this a lot. Why did God bury Moses and they never knew where his grave was? And here it is. Lean in and listen to this. God does not want you to leave behind a tombstone. He wants you to leave behind a testimony. The Bible says that the people talked after the death of Moses about his testimony. Look at verse 10. He was a man who had an intimate fellowship with God, but since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. He was a man who had the power of God. They say, you, know, you remember Moses, he had the power of God on his life. Look at verse 11. In all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt. He was a mighty spiritual warrior. He was a soldier for the Lord. Verse 12, and by all that mighty power and all that great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. So what God wants you to leave behind is not a pretty tombstone, a sepulcher, or a mausoleum, but he wants your legacy to linger that you had the power of God in your life, that you were a man of God and a woman of God. You prayed and your prayers were answered. You had a testimony. You're an inspiration, and it just hangs in the air long after you're gone. But then I also want to tell you, we need to learn some lessons about discipleship. That's what God's called this church to do, Brother Charles, to make disciples. And a lot of churches across America are dying. I mean, they are closing the doors because we're not reaching the next generation. I mean, churches don't have a vision of reaching young people and young families. And I'm telling you, if you don't reach young people and young families, your church will die. And I'm not advocating doing anything weird. I'm not advocating compromise. But let me explain something to you. Young people and young families are not going to come and sit in the midst of a bunch of people who look like dried up prunes with faces so long they could suck marbles out of a gopher hole. (laughs) 
I want, I want you to notice what the Word says here. The Bible says in verse 8, And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Now listen to this. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, full of the Holy Spirit. Now listen to this. For Moses had laid his hands on him, poured his life into him. All those years, he was training him, a younger man, a new leader, to take them in. Paul had his Timothy. In our church over the last really several years, we've made a concerted effort to train up and to raise up a new generation of leaders. I don't want the North Jacksonville Baptist Church to die. And you've got to have this attitude. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus Christ. And let me tell you this, my friend. There's nothing that will grieve and quench the Holy Spirit in a local church like a critical, negative, pessimistic spirit. And let me tell you this. God gave you a mouth to praise His name and to give a testimony, not to gripe and complain about everything you don't like. But this is what's interesting. The end of Deuteronomy, Joshua takes up the mantle, leads the children of Israel into great victory. The book of Joshua shows us them possessing their possessions. But listen, at the end of Joshua, we go into the book of Judges. The darkest period of Israel's history. The Bible says every man did what was right in his own sight. Now why is that? Because Moses had a Joshua, but Joshua never had a Joshua. Discipleship. Training them up in the way they should go. Teaching them to observe all things the Lord has commanded. But there, there, there's another lesson we've got to learn here. And I was really excited to get to this one. I've shared with you some lessons about decisions. Be careful. Some lessons about death. Get busy. I've explained to you some lessons about discipleship. Church, have a vision. For the future, that's large, big, and strong. But I also want to talk about destiny. It was the destiny of Joshua to lead the children of Israel in, shout down the walls of Jericho. And I just want to say that God has a specific purpose for your life, and He's given you spiritual gifts to enable you to fulfill that purpose. So you need to get on your knees, surrender to the Lordship of Christ, get plugged into a local church, and ask God to enable you to fulfill your destiny. Well, originally it was Moses' destiny to lead the children of Israel into the Promised Land. And I may be talking to somebody tonight who says, uh, Brother Herb, I've made some wrong decisions. And he doesn't always have to be something about morality. I can remember one time I had this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful church. And this pulpit came, committee came sweet talking, you know. And I got in the flesh. And I want you to know I left and I wasn't at that, that, that new church two or three weeks and I was crying like a baby saying this is the biggest stupidest decision I've ever made in my life. We all, we all make bad decisions. 
And Moses made a terrible decision. And, and we look at that, and you may feel defeated tonight and say, well, I'm not going to finish well, and God's not going to use me, and I don't have any future because I've made some bad decisions. But I want you to know that God's destiny was for Moses to go in the promised land, and ultimately, Moses went in the promised land. The book of Matthew chapter 17, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a mount of transfiguration. And as they stood there, Jesus peeled back the majesty and glory. Peeled back his humanity to show us his majesty and glory. And the Bible says suddenly two men appeared there with our Lord Jesus talking to him about Calvary. And one of those men was Elijah, but the other was Moses. Let me tell you something, my friend. He wasn't on the wrong side of the river now. He was on the glory side. He was in the promised land. He was in the land of Canaan. And I wonder in his heart, as he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, if he was saying, it took me a long time, but hallelujah, I finally made it. I want to tell you something tonight, my friend. God's not the God of the second chance. He's the God of another chance. He's the God of new beginnings and a God of the fresh start. Hallelujah, my friend. Put your bad decision under the blood of Jesus and rise up and do something great for God. Well, in the late 1960s, the Olympics, Summer Olympics were held in Mexico City. And the marathon race ended the last lap around the Olympic Stadium. 45 minutes had passed since the last runner had come into the stadium. The crowd was thinning out, and suddenly they heard whistles blowing at the entrance of the stadium. They heard sirens, and here came the lone runner from Tanzania. Somewhere along the line, he had fallen, bloodied, and his knee, he could, all he could do was walk and drag his injured leg. And there, there, there he went, dragging that leg, that injured leg, all the way around that final lap. The people began to applaud him. A newspaperman went up to him to interview him and said, why didn't you quit? There's no way you could win this race. Why did you keep on? And he said, my country did not send me 6,000 miles to start a race. They sent me 6,000 miles to finish a race. And I came tonight... To make this challenge to all of us, Jesus did not come from heaven to earth. He didn't die on the cross and get raised from the dead and send down the Holy Spirit for you to be a loser and a dud, but for you to be more than a conqueror through His power and for His glory. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, let's all reverently stand to our feet. And in just a moment, we're going to have some music. It's time of commitment. Brother Charles is here.